Well, for those of you who are uh, so guests today, we are working through Lent uh, a series called God's Pursuit of Us, and it's a, it's a bit of a flip of where we started the year, which was in a series called The Pursuit of God, and they're, they're supposed to be of a piece in some ways. Um, but in this particular part, the Lent series, we're thinking about the extraordinary lengths that God goes to, to draw us back to himself, to put things right between us and him, and put things right in the world in which we live. So that, that's what we're thinking about. But today's particular topic is called God's Just Pursuits. The reality that we have a God who comes after us and who cares deeply about justice. And more than just being a God who is just, he will exercise judgment over our lives, which is kind of interesting because as soon as you hear that, you begin to shift a little bit uncomfortably in your comfortable pews because justice, judgment, it, it's loaded language and it can make you wonder, what, is, it, is this a good thing? Is, it, is this something that I really want to delve into too much? But that, that is exactly what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be looking at that, coming at it from different angles and so let's, let's pray together because it can feel like a slightly uneasy subject when you start using that sort of language. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, we've, we've just sung about who you are, and as we think about the nature of what it means for you to be just, to exercise judgment, we, we pray that we would hear from your Spirit, that we would hear your truth and the reality about that thing. So speak to us now in, your, in our hearts and in our minds, we pray. May we be assured of your goodness as we consider these things. In your name we ask. Amen. Was that something rolling down? I'm just checking. Okay. There is a television show which probably nobody here has ever seen called The Simpsons. Um, oh, obviously some of you have. One of the characters is a guy called Ned Flanders. If you haven't seen The Simpsons, Ned Flanders is the Christian neighbor of Homer and Marge. Um, he's often portrayed as a sanctimonious kind of do-gooder who expresses his faith, his Christian faith, in super cheesy ways that really gets under Homer's skin, and so Homer goes mad with him. Um, and he says one time he and his wife had just been away to a Christian camp where they were learning how to be more judgmental. <laughs> and his wife said, I don't judge Homer and Marge. That's for a vengeful God to do. <clears throat> And that profound bit of Simpson's social commentary, I think, actually captures the dilemma for us quite well. It raises questions about what we're like, not least for what we're like as Christians, and perhaps our tendency to be judgmental on occasions. But it also raises big questions over what is God really like, particularly in the way he exercises his judgments. Our passage this morning ended like this. And he has given him, that's Jesus, authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. Don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Gulp. You hear that in a particular way, and it's a little bit terrifying. And part of that, I think, derives from the fact that we have this amazing capacity to distort God's nature, turning a good quality of his, such as his just nature, into something dark and to something almost to be resented. 
there is a, there's a columnist named Irma Bombeck. That's a name and a half, isn't it? Um, and she said she was at church one time, and there was this little kid sitting next to her with his mum on the other side, and he was kind of disrupting the service. She said that he wasn't squirmy, he wasn't crying, he wasn't making a noise. He was just turning around and giving people a really big grin. And if you do that, you know when the sermon's kind of getting boring, it, it really gets people's attention, the kind of that you're being grinned at. And, and they would grin back, and his mum didn't like that. And she said to him, stop that grinning, you're in church. And then she, jer- <laughs> yeah. she jerked him by the arm and gave him a little smack, and it actually brought tears to his eyes. And Irma, this columnist, said, I wanted to grab this child with his tear-stained face, bring it close to me, and tell him about my God, the happy God, the smiling God, the God who had to have a sense of humor to have created the likes of us. What is God like? Is he severe? Is he harsh? And what's the impact on us for what we believe about the nature of God? Is it positive? Does it lead to flourishing? Or is it negative? Those are big and important questions, not least of all when we think about how it is that God pursues us, which is what we're doing. And just this week, in various different places, we've been talking, I've been talking to people about our tendency to, to crank up the volume on one dimension of God's personality. And we often do that with his love, and that's not a bad thing. But that often comes at the exclusion to other characteristics of God. And in so doing, we sort of flatten out who he really is and what he's up to in our world. So what I want to do this morning is quickly identify two things about us, which I think give us problems in the way that we grasp God's justice and how he might exercise judgment. Then I want to focus a little bit more on what God being just looks like. And then just at the end, consider one really simple application of all, that, all those thoughts. So let's start by the stuff that we find kind of makes it all a bit tricky, this area. I think the first slightly troubling thought is that this whole notion of justice and whether justice sounds like good news to us or not can depend a whole lot on where we're standing. Let me explain what I mean by that. If we go back to our passage, I can't remember, what's the page number, anyone? 752. The verses just before the bit we read, so if you sort of jump right back to verse 16 and on, it says that the Jews persecuted him. That is persecuting Jesus. In fact, it's getting seriously testy between Jesus and the Jews. So much we are told that the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. I love it. It's kind of, John just kind of slips it in there, little half-line throwaway remark, a bit of context. He's like, John, do you want to amplify on that a little bit? You know, they're trying to take this guy out more than just at the kneecaps. They literally want to do it permanently. That kind of feels like kind of major thing. But the point is, if you are the persecuted one, if you're the one crushed under an unfair system, then justice sounds a whole lot more like a good idea than it does if you're the one holding power and you may be part of the problem. Justice is far more appealing to a garment worker in Bangladesh slaving 12 hours a day for barely enough money to survive than it is for those who like buying their T-shirts for a fiver. Justice has something to say about the media frenzy when, sadly, a few hundred people die around the world because of coronavirus, and yet, at the same time, is 
almost silent about the reality of over 20,000 deaths daily from starvation, more than 10,000 of which are children. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. And by virtue of our context, by being part of the richest 1% of our world, it is uncomfortable. We can't help but rub up against the awkwardness that somehow we might just be part of that unjust system. So it's little wonder that we get a bit twitchy when God's justice is being talked about. That's the first thing. The second is this. As humans, we tend to exercise judgment in all sorts of funny ways, and that causes us problems. I want to take you to another statement that Jesus makes, which we'll return to a little bit later at the end. Three simple words. He throws it out there as a command. Do not judge. Say it with me. Do not judge. Said with such feeling. (laughs) How many exceptions does Jesus allow there? None, nada. He gives no exceptions on this whatsoever. He makes for no loopholes. Um, I think the old King James version actually renders this much, but it kind of strikes the right tone. Thou shalt not judge. So we're going to say it one more time, the old way, but this time I want you to employ something else. I want you to get your index finger, because I think this helps, and you're thinking, actually, I don't have a problem being judgmental, but somebody sitting near you clearly does, maybe the person sitting next to you. So this time, say it one more time, with some attitude, get that finger to do a little sanctified wagging to drive it home. So here we go. We'll do it the, the thou shalt not judge, okay? So wag your, come on, fingers out. Thou shalt not judge. Yes. You see, it's a funny thing how sneaky judgmentalism is. You can actually start to feel judgmental towards people even when you're saying thou shalt not judge. Because it's kind of fun to point your finger at somebody. And that taps right into our sinful nature, which enjoys indulging the desire that I want to feel a little bit superior to you. That sharp little twinge of pleasure that can come from expressing just a wee bit of contempt towards someone. Our exercise of judgment is flawed. It is properly messed up. And it quickly slides into judgmentalism. So we can talk up the flaws in somebody else's behavior and downplay the very same traits in our own, failing to take responsibility for our own lives, but becoming great at blaming other people. I think there was a fridge magnet that did the rounds a few years back that says, I didn't say you were wrong, I said I was going to blame you. And the religious people, people in church, we can be the worst. We can be the worst afflicted by this thing. There's this curious dynamic where often the more devout our religiosity, the more judgmental we can become. Think about Lent. We give up bad things, drinking, smoking, swearing, bad movies, and take up good practices like praying, reading our Bibles more, giving, exercise. I don't know if that sounds like your Lent, but any of those things can be good things to do, but the evil one sneaks in there. And our next thought is, what's the matter with other people? What's the matter with you? Why aren't you doing what I'm doing? Why can't you be more like me? I probably wouldn't say it quite that bluntly, but it's in there. A little root of hypocritical, judgmental lovelessness springs up even in the middle of something that is supposed to be virtuous and good. And when we do God the favor of making him in our own image, we bring all those distortions of justice to the table. And it's no surprise that we get a little bit wary when we start thinking about his judgment 
My kids have got this phrase, oh, he's, he's a bit judgy. But just the whole notion of judging is like, don't go there. Now, those are just a couple of things, I suspect, amongst many that give us a few issues when it comes to the idea of God's justice and his judgment. So I want us to return to the passage, the passage we read this morning, to get the God's eye view on all this. Now, you'll recall that the Jews are looking to take Jesus down. Why? Now, again, we didn't have that, but if you go just a few verses before, because he was doing stuff on the Sabbath. More specifically, he had healed a guy. He had just turned a man's life around, someone who had suffered from paralysis for 38 years. On this day, instead of being crippled and helpless by this pool, for the first time in 38 years, he gets to stand up, tuck his mat under his arm, and walk off. I mean, what a beautiful moment. It's such a good thing. And just because it's Sabbath, it doesn't stop being a beautiful, good thing. But the Jews slam Jesus for it. I mean, talk about skewed judgment. But what really, really gets under their skin is what Jesus says to justify what he's done, that beautiful act. He says, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. You're like, what's the big deal? Why did that chug, tug their chains so much? Well, we're told because that was like Jesus making himself equal with God. Big no-no. Not a good thing to do, unless, of course, it happens to be the truth. But this whole section that we read this morning, that we heard from verse 19 onwards, it almost deliberately reads like a courtroom defense. Jesus defending his actions, setting out his case. And the case that he puts out there doesn't try and downplay the charge that the Pharisees are making against him. In fact, he does the very opposite. He, he runs with it. He builds on it. So if they want to kill him before, now they want to do it in a really, really painful way. Because some, these words that we've just heard are some of the most explicit in all of the Gospels of Jesus saying, I am God, without actually using that statement. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. Just as the father raised the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And he gives it to that paralyzed man. But Jesus is aligning himself with God the father. And as he will later go on to say, I and the father are one. Boom. And that is a boom for the Jews. All of which takes us deeply into the question of what is God like? If the Father's entrusting judgment to the Son, how will he do that? Well, he'll do that in the same way that the Father would. Which propels us right back to a series we looked at over a year ago called Who is God? And do you remember we looked at a key Old Testament verse? It was like the John 3.16 equivalent in the Old Testament for Jews, which explains what God is like. Any of you remember that? Exodus 34.4? Anyone? 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 No, clearly not. <laughs> the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. That's why Jesus heals this guy. Even though it looks like a breach of Sabbath, he drips compassion, slow to anger, 
abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. It's kind of that little tag on the end. Do you remember that though? We, we, we spent quite a few weeks navigating all that. And the point is, is that God's compassion, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his just nature, they aren't all there sort of vying or competing for dominance within God. They are all expressions of his love, of who he is, because God is love. So yes, God is just. He doesn't let the guilty off the hook. He doesn't turn a blind eye to evil, give a little wink to sin and say, oh well, boys will be boys. He's just, and he will exercise his just judgment because, and this is important, his end goal is a world with no evil. And that's a really good thing. It's not like our judgment where we can feel it's a little bit of a retribution, a bit of payback. His judgment isn't this giant God-sized vendetta. It's about the healing and the renewal of the world so that there won't be cruel dictators driving economies into the ground. There won't be abuse or racism. There won't be stabbings at schools. There won't be violence of any description. No anxiety, no mental illness, no divorce or betrayal or fatherless children. How many of you want to live in a world like that? Hands up, maybe? Well, the answer is you can if you are a follower of Jesus. As John Mark Comer puts it, the hope of the gospel isn't that Holocaust victims will stand next to Hitler for eternity. The hope is that there will be no such people who are hostile to the way of Jesus and his kingdom of peace and joy and love. The judge will finally judge, and he will so, and he will do with his perfect justice. So when Jesus comes again, he will cripple sin for good. He will bring evil to its knees forever. And that is good news. I suspect you've still got a little thing whirring in the back of your head, though. And the amazing thing is that there is more good news because of who God is. Because if you're still shifting there a little uncomfortably, thinking, well, I know I'm not Hitler, but I still got a little bit of a sense that I might still be a small part of the problem, no matter how hard I might find to quantify it. And this is the other part of the good news, the one that actually we tend to emphasize most, perhaps rightly. But because God is compassionate and gracious and forgiving as well as he is just, we don't have to cower in fear and dread at the thought of Jesus' return. This whole, the whole of this Lent series is, funny enough, building up to Easter, where we embrace the saving grace of Jesus. We take our wickedness, our rebellion, and our sin straight to the cross, and we let it die on Jesus' shoulders. That's partly why we use the language of a price being paid. Justice is being served because he is taking the rack for it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. And the consequence of that, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, how much condemnation? None. 
not a little, no trace elements. There is no condemnation. Jesus' purpose in coming was to overthrow that whole spirit of condemnation and judgmentalism and bring acceptance to all of humanity. So to finish up, one quick application of this, which is really, really simple in theory, and I think if we all embraced it, it would be utterly transformational, both here but also anywhere we went. It would change the mood of the places we go. You remember Jesus' command built on the fact that he alone is truly just? Thou shalt not judge. There's a powerful dynamic that he goes on to describe after that. He says, do not judge, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, there's God's justice at work there. But I think also Jesus is just observing, describing a general law of the human condition. You tend to get back what you give out. So if you give love, you tend to get love. If you give anger, you tend to get anger. If you give sarcasm, you tend to get sarcasm. Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I've got a little visual aid here. This is a bucket, and for those of you who can see it from that distance, this is a thimble. You'll decide today and every day from here on in what measure you're going to use. Do you give a bucket of encouragement to people, or do you give a thimble? Do you give a bucket of mercy to people, or do you give a thimble? Do you give a bucket of anger to people, or do you give a thimble? How about when it comes to judgment? Think about how I or you would like to be judged. How much mercy would you like? Thimble or a bucket? Now, when you come to judge me, which you will because I'll, I'll do something wrong and I'll mess up somehow, I would prefer you give me a bucket load of mercy. I want you to remember that there's a story behind my life. I want you to take into account when I do something judgeable, my genes, my deficiencies, my hidden pain. Remember that I'm from Essex. <laughs> Remember that my mom cleaned the house way too much when I was growing up. Remember that I was sent to school on one occasion in an awful barber wax jacket. Remember that my goldfish died when I was only 34 years old. I want a bucket full of mercy. And when I look at other people, do I remember? They've got stories too. They've got wounds. They've got scars. They have genes. They've got parents. They've had hurts. All kind of stuff has happened. Do I give mercy by the thimbleful or by the bucketful? Because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In our friendship with Jesus, in our life with Jesus, in our vision of doing life with Jesus, we're living in a kingdom, a reality where condemnation is supposed to be simply irrelevant to our lives. And that is built on the fact, simply, that he is just, and he's perfectly loving, and he can deal with that in a way that we never can. And so we can rest easy. Let's pray, shall we?